So, I wanted to open the floor for any questions tonight. Are there any questions? <laughs> yes. How is the practice of bhakti yoga scientific? How is the practice of bhakti yoga scientific? Well, there's a couple ways to think about that. Of course, Prabhupada um, would be the first person to use the term scientific, I would imagine. Uh, certainly Rupa Goswami wouldn't have used it. Um, that doesn't mean it's inappropriate, but speaks of the need to speak according to time and, and circumstance. And Prabhupada uh, being interfacing with uh, the modern world, um, following the lead in that regard of Bhakti Vinod, and use different phrases and terms and whatnot to um, bring people into um, to Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And um, one of the ways in which Prabhupada uh, used the term and thought of the term scientific and there's more than one I would say but one of them was the way in which he would at the same time distinguish it from being a faith and what he meant by that the, contra- the contrast or the, the, the opposite in the way he was thinking about it it's not a faith Would he meant it's not a belief um system um, that uh, is not uh, verifiable. So in the modern uh, world, it's quite often that you'll hear the idea that that faith is something somewhat of a departure from reason. If you can't demonstrate uh, and science, so reason and philosophy is is these days very much tied to empiric um, evidence and reasoning about it and so forth. So, so um, if you have a belief that you cannot uh, verify, then it's thought to be a faith, and and in, in that sense, thought to be um, something unreasonable <laughs> or a departure from reason. People pride themselves in being reasonable and therefore not uh, proceeding in life on the basis of some premise that cannot be verified objectively, which is then, you know, the, the scientific method. You, you create a controlled environment, you make an experiment, you get the data, and then you've got your law, or your truth, or your, your fact. It's thought, and that does work pragmatically to accomplish different, uh, different things. Um, whether it has any capacity to tell us the truth and the purpose and meaning of life uh, is questionable when often it's, it's interpreted to say that there is no purpose and meaning to life. But at any rate, um, this is, you know, all of what obviously was on Prabhupada's mind by, by using the term, um, it's a science, um, and by that he meant that, that 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 you can pursue it and you can get 
um, results, consistent results, data. Hmm? And so in, in that way he, he was thinking to say it was a science and distinguish it from um, just a belief system um, that I believe in, for example, I believe in God and when I die and go to heaven I'll know it's true. And prior to that I have evidence in my mind, maybe, of my experience, but it's subjective and I cannot uh, verify it objectively to the satisfaction of others who require such. And uh, so he wanted to say Krishna consciousness, Gaudiya Vaishnavism, Bhakti Yoga, was different in this regard. Now, I have um, given a lot of support in some of my writing to that very idea by way of emphasizing the the fact that the inner subjective experience of Krishna consciousness, um, which is, I think, how Prabhupada was talking about it, it says this in our book, if you do this, you'll get the experience that's in the book. Therefore, it's a science, it's provable. That doesn't mean to say that, however, that you can prove it to a third party. Mm -hmm. Hmm? So it's a little better. It's in the book. It says to go through these steps and you'll get this result. And so you do the steps, you get the results, it's verifiable, and so forth. So he looked at it like that. To take it a step further in terms of being verifiable for those who who, who, who require that, which is, which is a lot of people, <laughs> um, they think they require it, although they often function on the basis of premises that are uh, not verifiable more often than not, probably. Um, but uh, I've taken a step further in some of my writing by way of saying that the internal mystical experience that's talked about in the book, for example, that's it's confirmed as we reach the stage and we experience it. And that was always my, hey, I'm experiencing what's in the book here. This is, you know, here's the map, and here I am. <laughs> I'm now at this fork in the road right here, or this turn in the road here. Um, and that was also, that was, I found that very um, confirming. But my extension of that for the modern world, if you will, is is to say that the internal experience of the mystic has some objective, external verifiable symptoms that have to be taken uh, seriously by any earnest, uh, uh, unbiased uh, person. Mm -hmm. So uh, the very kind of baseline within any uh, spiritual ego-effacing yogic tradition of differentiating consciousness from matter. Hmm? That's the baseline, right? That's the beginning of real spirituality, this uh, experience of the difference between consciousness and matter, between the, the, the soul, as you might want to refer to it. Some people say that they believe in a soul. Some people say they don't believe in a soul. We don't use necessarily that vocabulary. We say that you don't have to ask the question, do you believe in consciousness? 
everybody has everybody believes in consciousness. And of course, it was a question of whether you believe it. It's part of life, right? It's just a question of defining now what consciousness is. So some people want to define it as some epiphenomenon, for example, of the brain, and we uh, differ from that definition and say that it doesn't have a biological um, uh, basis to it, that it's ontologically different from physical matter and from mental matter, and that that can be experienced by yoga. And when you do experience it um, in, 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 in it considerably, let's say, as an experiential mystic, there are external symptoms by which any objective person can say something different's going on here. Um, for example, the premise is, again, the consciousness is different from matter, and that I exist, therefore, independent of matter. And in the mystic's life, largely, we find that he or she does live independently of matter to a greater extent than would have people would have thought was possible. Even in a crude sense, in a very basic sense, sometimes people say, you don't eat meat? How can you live? You know, that's in a very crude sense. Or you don't watch television? I mean, how could you live? Uh, for example. Um, and of course, in a, in a, in, it's a little harder in bhakti because bhakti does embrace uh, the world, so to speak, and then employ it. So therefore it said, Vaishnavera Kriyamana Bhigdena Bhujaya. It's difficult to understand a Vaishnava because he or she might be publishing books, driving in cars like Bhakti Siddhanta and so forth, rather than, for example, living in a cave as a breatharian for the last 50 years. But you can, you know, you can go to people like that hmm, and say, here's an example of somebody um, who um, lives to a large extent independent of matter. And we, of course, we say they're in the body now, and so, you know, there's some um, um, identification with it, but the extent to which uh, they're not dependent upon it is, comparatively to others, is considerable. And, and also, there are other symptoms in all such uh, genuine mystics who are living in their experience. The very the basic symptoms of, 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 well, objectivity, which is so much prided in the scientific and uh, rational community. Objectivity, of, which corresponds with detachment. If I'm detached, then I'm not so... I'm not biased towards the thing. I can step back. I can to see equally to have compassion for all beings. For example, um, this is not common. Certainly desirable. If everybody had compassion for all beings, then there probably wouldn't be any problems in the in the world. Hmm? But it's it's a nice thought. It's pretty hard to attain. But if somebody has attained it by yoga and lives, that's pretty. Extraordinary. That person. We have to take notice of that, that person, and how he or she has arrived at that. Hmm? So there's this, this some measure of objectivity, which we can look at them, and and have seeing those kind of symptoms, hmm? um, to again to go further with it, to conquer over lust. 
That's impossible. One might think. Sounds impossible. To conquer over greed, avarice, to to be what everybody thinks you should be, but figures you can't when they start growing up. Hmm? Right? Well, you teach your kids they should be, but you know you know yourself. You 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 don't even set that example. You you want them to be what you thought you could be, but you didn't quite. And so, uh, so to actually be that person, there doesn't have to be a lot of them. If you, you can't dismiss the mystics because they're not on every street corner. Hmm? There may be one over every century or two. All you need is one, the one Jesus. Hmm? One Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? Right? One, we were talking about Gorkashar Das Babaji, eating raw eggplants, for example. It's just, we, we, we talked a little bit about him on his disappearance day the other day. So, you only need one. There's more than one. Not only is there more than one, but these people, and Hinduism has quite a few of them, but in the different traditions, the Rumis of, of, of Islam's mystic division, Sufis, of Sufism, you know, the Jesus of, 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 of Nazareth and, uh, and the Eastern uh, Western revelation of Christianity, the New, the New Testament, and uh, and uh, Gotama. Hmm. All he did was sit under a tree, and and ponder. And a whole school of Buddhism has come out of it, and schools within that, and other schools, and, and so forth. It's not going away. Christianity's not going away. Buddhism's not going away. Islam's not going away. Hinduism's not going away. And what is the basis of these things and keeps these things going is the experiential um, life of the the founders, so to speak. And and they're, they're very towering um, people. I've compared them to like the lighthouse at night on the shore when you're uh, you know, lost at sea. And they're standing, there's land, there's land. They speak to us like this. They give us, they confirm, they, they, they answer by their very persona to the universally experienced or felt a human sensibility that there's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind. Freud's, what did he call it? The oceanic experience. Of course, he said, "I don't quite get it." Some people have this oceanic experience that they're. He said, "I don't have it." Hmm. So maybe not everybody, but <laughs> but most people. I think all of them, really all of them do. They have. They may then, due to the lack of good association, dismiss it, rationalize it away, and so forth. But there's a sense within human society. The whole system, whether we recognize it or not, I often say we are all seeking and celebrating those moments and experiences that seem to extend the possibilities of life beyond what they thought they we thought they were. As I've given an example, you, you know, somebody runs the race one ten thousandth of a second faster than the other person, and it's celebrated. It's gold medal, and they won at the last minute. It was impossible to, to go and be. Humans feel like we can go beyond what's thought to be possible. And what that is about, from our perspective, is that the self is beyond 
though all the limitations physically and mentally that we experience, and it's coming to the fore in human life, to the extent that it's not in plant life and animal life and insect life, hmm? when it comes to when we come to human life, the self is asking about itself. Why am I? Who am I? And I feel that uh, a little uncomfortable here, but uh, not quite at, at home. And we can make adjustments. So all this, from our point of view, is the self seeking itself. It's coming to, and then the answers to that, those questions, and the, the guides to help us to hone that. These are these these mystics and texts that have been authored by them or written by their followers or the, or the or the, in the case of the Hindus the text that they they followed the unspoken uh, you know un, 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 unauthored sounds of the Shruti the Upanishads and so forth but these people are they're very uh, extraordinary people and we can't just dismiss them as the people of the past as, you know, people just imagined that they were miracle makers or something like that they're they're present in, 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 in today's world, too, if we want to look at them, but they're not everywhere. They're not in every street corner. The fact that there's not a lot of them is not a reason to dismiss them. We don't say that it's a... It's a it, we say it's a rare thing, but still, um, it's, uh, it's what life is meant to... Uh, meant human life meant for, for the pursuit of. Hmm? And um, so they freed from lust, freed from greed, um, uh, uh, com- ha- having compassion for all uh, beings, um, th- this is impossible. Hmm? Um, so, if somebody actually demonstrates this, uh, then obviously they get to some following people like them. They, 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 and so, their point being is that there's some objective, observable evidence as to. Uh, to to that, that corresponds with their subjective inner experience, which in our case corresponds with the book. Also, the book says, and, you, and they're experiencing it, and it's playing out in everyday life like this. And the way in which it plays out in everyday life, you can't really entirely dismiss that evidence. You may you may examine it and interpret it differently, if you like. And there are people that, that of course try to do that. But the reason they are interpreting it differently is because they are they are entering it with a preconceived notion, a, a basis, a premise. Hmm? Nobody's moving without a premise. Uh, you know, it's not like Darwin had no premise. He had a premise, and he thought, and then he sought to validate it. Hmm? So they they have already concluded. What you know, it seems very unlikely, if possible at all, or it's not possible, that there could be anything beyond the physical. Hmm? Called a mind, and then and then beyond that, called a, a self. Hmm? So, the guy is experiencing something. Obviously, the mind, the mind, brain has a lot of plasticity, and it can do things we don't know. But we're still studying the brain, and we're going to figure it all out. There's going to be a God button in there. And you press that, and you get the God experience. Hmm? Well, I'll tell you something. If you could find a neural seat for the God experience and press it once, and everybody said. Everybody, and you could put a quarter in a machine to get it. The people would be lined up around the globe to keep putting a quarter in the machine, hmm? and having that experience consistently would be the solution to all the problems in life. I put hmm? a buck in. Yeah, there you go. There you go. 
People, people be fighting for the experience, you know. Um, so it's one thing, you know, to talk about it like that. It's another thing to experience it. And what we see, there are a number of people, even in the scientific disbelieving, if you will, we'll call it that for a moment, community, who have had experiences, and then they have a testimony as to they they just can't then fit that experience in their previous um, framework hmm, and reduce it to something um, mundane. It's just too much um, more and too uh, confirming of the sense that there's more to life and so forth. So, so, um, so it's a science, if you will, in, in, in that sense. And, um, it, you know, I think Prabhupada used the, the term in, in that way. And also, Another more simple way of thinking about it, that bhakti yoga is a science, is is that there's a method to it. Hmm? There's a method to it. There's a, there's a sadhana. Hmm? There are stages. There are practices. Now that is um, may seem obvious to you because you've been practicing it, but let's look at um, at Christianity. And um, in the ninth, in the in the twentieth century. A, a, the famous Thomas Merton, Catholic monastic, went to India in search of a methodology hmm, to adapt from the East to his Christian practice that would aid him in contemplative life and the experience of that which he believed in, which is posited to one extent or another within Christianity, the different schools of the Christianity as to the nature of the Atma, it's not, not really the subject of the Bible. They borrow from the Greeks either a Platonic idea of the soul or Aristotelian, in the case of the Thomists, the followers of St. Thomas. Interesting, because Thomas is the one who went to India, but he's got a more materialistic conception of the self, um, kind of a Rajasic mixed body soul mixed together kind of, or the platonic idea is, is is very vedic therefore even after plato in europe there's a school of neoplatonists and if you if you study their work you think this is vedanta basic vedanta uh you take islam is the sufi mystic a branch of islam which is denied by a lot of islam people you know, that's not us. The Sufi, they're crazy. You know, the, uh, uh, but but it really is the mystical uh, side of Islam is basically Islam meeting Vedanta. That's hmm? really really what it what it what it comes to um, in many respects. Um, so um, so Merton. You know, he went and he visited Hindus and the Buddhists because the East was the land of of experience. Like I said the other night, it was very hard. It was easy, relatively, for Christians in the beginning to sell the miracle, um, if you will, of Christ's um, resurrection, which is a miracle to close down all the shamans. And the pagans and the witches and 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 whatnot of Europe, um, and they also, to their credit, they had not only a story, a testament passed on second, third hand, as it may be, but driving them, 
of this miracle of miracles, somebody came back from the dead, um, along with it, to their credit, they had uh, some conviction that they had that had enabled them to pass through the fire of persecution to the extent that the whole Roman Empire, you know, ultimately, um, which killed the Christ, with became Christian at a certain point, and the Pope lives in Rome now. Uh, so, um, um, but um, within Catholicism, you had these early uh, mystics in Europe, but with the Protestant Reformation and so forth, it seems to have um, um, been on the wane a little bit. Which is Protestantism was really about. We don't need priests to tell us how to practice. We just read the Bible and whatever it's however it speaks to us. We open a church. So there's a church on this corner. There's a church on that corner. A church on that corner. That idea has some merit, and you know it has some demerit to it. And so there's all kinds of interpretations of the Bible, and so many branches of Christianity. Catholicism is more Catholic, if you will, you know, the original uh, idea. And some of the early Protestant breakoffs carry a lot of, you know, tradition with them as well, and philosophy and theology and so forth. Um, but um, but uh, over time, or even at the time of these mystics within Christianity, there's no real, that I'm aware of, doctrine of like method, you know, how to step by step, you know, from an Arthanabritti to an Ishtadaruchi mm-hmm. type of approach that, or, you know, you, the, the yoga system, all the systems of India, they're, they're very meth- methodological and in, 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 comparatively. So again, Merton went to the East to try to incorporate meditation techniques and learn about those techniques and incorporate that into the into the Catholic tradition, and 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 he did, and and and, and there has been some embrace of that amongst the, the monastics. Um, so, to whatever extent, it may be um, lacking a sense of a methodology, and maybe it's not amongst the, you know, the, the inner core, or say the mat monastics of some of the Christian traditions, but you know the common fare, you know, the common fare. The, the nominal uh, adherence to the popular uh, faiths um, lacking in that regard. So Prabhupada was emphasizing that, and uh, so there's there's a method to the to the madness of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to be followed. So it's scientific in in that sense, um, and again, um, it's interesting because he wanted to distinguish it from faith which then he was interpreting when he said the word as belief. Hmm. You can also say this is faith and have a different notion of what faith means. Um, Faith means experience through sadhusanga and through application of the method Hmm. that clears doubts. And then you you go to the language of Sridhar Maharaj, planets of faith world of faith as opposed to a world of doubt. Here we live in a world of doubt, no doubt. Hmm? And there are planets of faith and 
and its absence of doubt. And faith is the animating principle in in humanity. Uh, Krishna says in the Gita, a person is their faith. Hmm? Suspicion leads to suspension. If we have a d- doubt, we're sus- our animation is suspended. So faith, so he would speak about it like that. But, but he's then interpreting the word faith differently. Prabhupada, when he would say things like that, was identifying faith with a belief system, which in the language of Bhakti we know it is, is mental or intellectual. And by comparative, shraddha is some kind of dispensation through association. Shraddha is a Sanskrit word for faith here. It means, and it, it speaks about experience. Hmm? Um, like like a, a contagious type of... Uh, anyway, uh, experience. So they, there's different ways to... to, 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 to uh, sell it, if you will. Uh, but I think that's um, what Prabhupada was uh, thinking about, uh, more or less, by saying it was uh, a uh, a uh, science and trying to get educated people to but participate in it. I mean, that was also true when in the, in the middle of the 19th century, when Darwin's theory started to take um, root in the intellectual community and it and Christianity realized that the, or saw it as a challenge at that time there was some crisis and in the middle of the uh, 19th century there was a um, famous uh, hmm? no there was a, there was a some kind of interfaith Council in Chicago held, and the famous Vivekananda of the of Hinduism spoke there, sponsored by some people, and another Buddhist monk spoke there, and they spoke in a way that that it appeared that their faith in their spiritual experience, if you will, was not in conflict with Darwinian evolution. So like, for example, Vivekananda spoke about it as we, we, Hindus have been evolutionists forever. Hmm? Kind of an idea. Hmm? And so the self evolves you know, through different species of life and gradually becomes a human. It's a whole different idea of what evolution was, but how well evolution, Darwinian evolution, biological evolution is its thought, is understood today as an argument was is considerably more here Hundred and you know fifty plus years later was his new argument. Then, if you go back now and you read Vivekananda's arguments about evolution, Hinduism, and how there's no conflict, it'll it's a joke. It's a joke right now to read because with all you might would know about evolution, hmm? but at the time it was very um, compelling, hmm? and it was based on the information that was available at the time. So I say there's always new information about the world to deal with. It's ongoing. So at any rate, a number of people at the conference thought, here, we can shift gears here to the East. We can keep our spiritual sensibilities and still be rational. Hmm? And rational findings, as it was thought, empirical findings that supported, as it was thought, this premise of evolution 
don't have to be in, in conflict. We can take the high ground here. So that's um, was the beginning of the Vedanta society and, and Hinduism, really, and Buddhism in America. Hmm? They, they were the pioneers of that. Um, and so it's it's related to what you're what you're asking about, or the way Prabhupada was was looking at kind of promoting the uh, the uh, Eastern methodology, yoga uh, system, uh, a technology, a science, a technology of the spirit. You know, rather than just have faith, kind of idea. Yes. This question doesn't derive from uh, doubt or anything. I just just curiosity most mostly. How can one be aware of Krishna's presence in one's life? Like how you know? Mm-hmm. How can you be aware of that presence? Like how? how if he's present, how could you not be aware? Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah, how can you distinguish his presence? You know, um, from from from. I guess spontaneous happenings or something that you know to others, and you know, it's like someone else would say, "Oh, that just you know that just happened in your life," and you know, it's just. And you want thing, but then you know you may see oh no wait maybe you know this was Krishna is doing in my life or something. Mm-hmm. Well, devotees t- will tend to think that Krishna is in their life, and indeed you know he is in their life. He's, they're chanting his name, they're following a representative of his, and so forth and so on. And so um, you know, before you talk about Krishna being involved in what happens to you in your life, you have to talk to someone or think about what they believe is involved in whatever's happening in their life. Is it just random and there's nothing happening except atoms are bouncing off of one another at the bottom line? Is that what you think? Or, for example, you could think there's karma in the words that there is um, there is not only a physical kind of um, action reaction through contact physical contact or through physical forces like gravity but there's also a moral component to life and this means like for example if you accept that there's a mind that's not a product of the brain, but it's independent of the brain. There's something called the mind. There's mind stuff. Um, then, uh, you know, as, as within that, there is, um, you might call awareness. Let's use a, um, a Western term, awareness. So with awareness comes, it would seem, um, Responsibility, hmm? you understand? Awareness. So, the, as much as um, jitta, awareness, 
if you understood properly in the yoga tradition, corresponds with the idea that there is a there is a moral component ontologically to life. Hmm? Hmm. On a macrocosmic scale, because on a microcosmic scale, I have awareness in a, in a basic sense, and I think something should be done, something shouldn't be done. I, I I take it into consideration. I'm aware that you're being troubled by what I'm doing, and I can think it's wrong, or at least I can be aware. But I could think, who cares? But I, I like to do it, whatever. But uh, but uh, but with if we think <laughs> that thoughts matter, for example, um, uh, then 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 we then there's there's reason to posit that there's a moral, there is a real right and a real real wrong, so to speak. That's part of the cosmic the world has a dharma. So this is the idea of of karma, right, in a broad sense. So that there's a there's a there's a real force that um, is a response to human awareness with which comes responsibility and consequence. So there's consequence for the for the power and the freedom of awareness comes consequences, and so we think in this way that that that, that this karma influence is driving people, and um, then if that person comes under the influence of Krishna, if, if, then 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 this other shakti. The bhakti is constant, sarup shakti is affecting in in their life, and so then they'll start to think, as a practice, Krishna's involved in my life in all respects. I'm depending on him. If I'm a sharanagat, I'm depending on Krishna. So he's involved in my life. Even if it's karma I'm getting, he's adjusting the karma in some way, and um, I culture in that way my dependence upon him. Um, now. As you do that, then I would think that you get you get confirmation of that. When you become really absorbed, then you will have experiences where you see something is or being orchestrated that is be that I'm just part of. Hmm? You have you have experience huh. one after another. Huh? Huh? But, you know, the people call it synchronicity, but or something like. But it's a little more than than that. Um, and you you actually experience. That there's something bigger than me that's orchestrating this, and I'm an instrument, and it's very gratifying to know it's not me, because I was having a hard time being everything. Uh, <laughs> so it's uh, and I'm in, and I'm in sync with 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 that uh, kind of intelligence, if you will, of the world. Um, so um, as you go on in your practice, you get confirmation of that. How to how to you know relate that to another person, you can, you know, have to say, like I said, well, what do you think makes things happen? What is the force? Because when people say, well, it's psychological, or, you know, then you keep breaking it down. There are psychological reasons because it makes you do the th- things that you do. Then you have to say, well, what is psychology? Do you believe there's a mind that's independent of the brain? Hmm? Psychology doesn't. As a school... Other than transpersonal psychology, perhaps, which is a very small, small 
dismissed by the greater body of uh, psychology's school of thought. So psychological schools of thought will posit psychological reasons for why things happen, why you do the things that you do and so forth. But they themselves believe, intimidated by the hard sciences, really, that that it's really all the brain, and therefore a lot of psychological conditions are thought to be treatable with brain adjustments and so forth. And they are, because the brain is like a glove to the mind, so there's things that you can do to the glove that will affect the hand, and, and, and so on. It's a given within yoga that there's a correspondence between brain and and mind. It's it's but it's 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 it's, it's a two way street. Brain can affect mind. Mind can also affect brain. Hmm? But ultimately, mind can over affect brain. Therefore, you can find these Buddhist monks who do these really strange things, but they're interesting. Um, you know, they 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 develop this mind power to, uh, ch- and they can change the, the temperature of their bodies, stay in freezing uh, temperatures, and they can demonstrate that they've changed their body heat or temperature, and in, and in, only in different places at times as well. Or they can, um, you know, you can um, they can break boards or whatever, brick, bricks and all kinds of stuff like that. It's, they're pretty pretty interesting i mean there's probably more important things to do but but it's it does kind of demonstrate this idea of mind over matter uh, to some extent so at any rate uh you know people may what you want to ask people what do you think drives people if it's psychology then it's brain you reduce the brain and brain then 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 there's you know you got this meaningless soup and so why try to sort it out <laughs> What's what? There's nothing happening. You know, there's no there's no meaning here. We think there is meaning, and you live your life as if there is. So you should be with us because you agree with us. If you live your life as if things have meaning and purpose, but then your philosophy is that they don't, then you're not really able to walk your talk, and you have no right to complain about us who believe in religion. <laughs> you know, so. But anyway, that's a little far from what you're asking, really, how you know. You you, you, you take, is it karma that I'm moving under, or is it Krishna's influence? And, and, and of course, the more you take a shelter of Krishna, obviously, the more that uh, whatever's happening to you is is, is uh, within the uh, orbit and the fold of his influence. So, yes. My dad just died. I'm sorry to hear that. And I did hear it. I, My I, condolences. I, I feel his presence. I don't know if it's his presence, but something around me, and I um, have heard his voice already asking the question that we used to always do together. Um, but I, where did he go after he died? Well, uh, yeah, I'm not omniscient, so um, there's there's <laughs> any number of possibilities, but typically. Um, that uh, according to our tradition, there is both a, a physical body and then there is a mental body. So there's kind of like physical matter and psychic matter. And this psychic matter, the self, the atma, which is often asleep to its own reality, but by its 
force of its proximity to mind, it animates the mind and causes the mind uh, to do what it does and a sense of individuality arises and so forth. But anyway, inside of that subtle body, the self moves to another gross body, to another physical body. So it's reincarnation, right? So after some time, after dying, then that person in the subtle body is transferred into another physical body and the other physical body is determined by things that they've done in their life. That's the... the um, the um, so principle of karma. I can't go find him. It would be difficult. He was a very good man. He was a theology, a theologian, 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 and a, a very religious and, and close to God. Yeah. Um, no, so it's not that you can't necessarily does that find mean him. He would come back. As it, it, a, as a I would man. say that you're very strongly karmically connected to him. So, because you're his daughter, so there's a connection. You did things. With him, he did things with you, and so there are repercussions for all of those things. So, um, you know, let let let's give another example. Say you live in your house, and there's a guy down the street that's a real jerk, and he always comes and bothers you, and so forth, and um, and uh, and uh, so in, in the next life. Hmm, you could be born on the same block or you know nearby or something like that and the the consequences for that person bothering you would could cause him or her to take birth in a certain way in your life that they're becoming bothered without you trying to bother them um there are people uh sometimes you see there are trees for example that grow up around a house and they attach themselves to a house and so it may be that the person in the last life lived in the house and was just so attached to the house, but he did other things that warned that he would, instead of taking birth as a human, take birth as a tree and then wrap around the house. And so, so anyway, there's ways karmically that he could be involved in your life. That could I have been born in the wrong place and I need to go somewhere else? No. You were born in the right place. <laughs> You're in a good place right now, too. Yes, but... Yeah. But the the ways of karma are intricate. You know, it's like every every breath you take, every move you make, someone's watching <laughs> <laughs> and recording it, writing it. Then they got to print out what's what's the what's the result of that. It's the karma. So it's that's just depicted in a humorous way, like that, just um, to uh, make us aware that our thoughts, our actions, and so forth. There. Um, they have consequences. And, and that's basically what you look around and you think, hmm, actions have consequences because there's life in different forms. Hmm. And uh, so I I look and I see consequences. Hmm. How to act. What kind of consequences would you like to incur? <laughs> and of course, uh, we have very good consequences, spiritual consequences. Therefore, we learn how to act and think in Krishna consciousness. And if you do that, of course, those who are dear to you and connected with you karmically will be benefited by that hmm? and and brought along with you. So you can bring your father along with you. My kids. Them too, yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, so we'll stop there. Shri Shri Gauradamadava Kijai. Gorbakta Vrindakita. <laughs>